Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. Gab, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some bubbles this evening. Um, lots and lots of bubbles. My bubbles, my bubbles, my bubbles, bubbles. my bubbles. My bubbles. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, oh, I had a friend over yesterday, and we drank mimosas while we watched the uh, U.S. men's national team oh. versus Turkey. Um uh-huh. And unfortunately, we opened that second bottle without the intention of finishing it. So oh. that's what I've been doing this evening is working on finishing it. I'm on my third glass, and uh, I think I'm doing pretty good. Um, what about you, buddy? What are you What are you enjoying this fine Monday night? I am finishing off my bottle of Johnny Walker Black. There was just about a finger of scotch left in there. So anyway, has has stuff been happening in women's soccer lately? Anything at all? <laughs> I think I think there have been a few things uh, going on going on this week. Um, it's been uh, a few days of almost actually it's been a week since we uh, since we recorded since I had the stomach bug. And in that time, uh, let's go backwards. Uh, today we got the U.S. Women's National Team roster mm-hmm. uh, that Jill and Tony put together for the French friendlies. Um, we had some games happen this weekend uh, in the NWSL, and we had some games happen uh, midweek uh, that we didn't cover last time. Um, we had a bet on one of those games that sure I did. lost, so we have that to to take care of uh, at the end of this episode. Um, and I think we have some hot topics that we would like to discuss as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of them are a little broader than others, but well, and it's conversation starter, it, so yeah. you know, hopefully, hopefully, people engage in the conversation by leaving comments on the podcast. Yeah, or you know, engaging us in conversation on Twitter because I love talking about women's soccer on Twitter. I only talk about women's as long soccer as you're on not Twitter. A butthead and a homer, like not a homer, but like as long as you just aren't, as long as you see fault in the player that you love and aren't wearing blinders. Yeah, someone who can accept when their team might be in the wrong. Exactly. So we've got 23 players called up to a quote-unquote camp, mm-hmm. even though uh, Shannon Box is, got called in mainly for the pretty typical um, and, at this point, routine uh, evaluation and kind of a, a check-in. Um don't expect her to play, but she takes up one of the 23 spots on the on that call-up sheet. Um, and then you've got Alex Morgan, who hasn't played a game since October. Not quite in Shannon Box's situation, um, just because uh, it seems like Alex is almost game ready. You said, uh, Paul, Paul Riley says she might see time on Saturday. It's a 26-woman roster, not 23. Oh, really? Yeah, 26. Wow. Well then, I am speaking out my butt. <laughs> it was a it was a brain fart. I yeah. thought it was twenty three for some dumb reason. Because oh, well. a lot of times, wait, um, maybe you're thinking of the men's World Cup roster. <laughs> oh, maybe I'm thinking of the men's twenty three players better than Landon Donovan. To... <laughs> Landon Donovan was number twenty four. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> okay, so. <clears throat> But uh, yeah, the the roster, the twenty six player roster. Um, I didn't think there were all that many surprises on there, but apparently uh, a few people were um, surprised 
that Kelly O'Hara is now listed as a forward. I mean, let's look at the defenders they're calling in. Steph Cox, Crystal Dunn, Angen, Klangenberg, Krieger, Rampone, and Brune. I see two different formations, or I, I guess I see two different options for the wings mm-hmm. and two different central options within this lineup. So if you mix a match, I guess we have eight different options we could go with. With, with this, with these particular defenders, you don't necessarily put Klingenberg in the middle um, unless you put her in there with Engen uh, because they've, I guess, done really well over in Sweden. You know, essentially you're looking at Engen-Brune matchup or Brune-Marimpone matchup, um, and you're you're trying to balance a, a Steph cox Ali Krieger or Crystal Dunn-Megan Klingenberg uh, match up there. Or you take advantage of what the Spirit have done and you team Dunn up with Krieger and match Klingenberg up with Cox. Yeah, between Crystal Dunn and Steph Cox, I, I tend to prefer Steph Cox because A, I'm, I'm, I'm fond of Lopez and also she's like a true left-footed player. But Lopez is freaking ridiculous with, with her left foot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but there are options here. I think is my point. I, and yeah. you have to play Klingenberg on side. You you don't necessarily want Klingenberg in the middle, given her speed and given given how good she is. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about speed, though, Kelly O'Hara, she's got that engine. She'll run up and down the sidelines all friggin' day. So I don't yeah, necessarily but I, see... I see this as a as a move by Ellis and, and Goose Supersusan um, to start limiting players and start honing in on players to play specific roles. So you think they're they're tightening up the back line and there's not going to be as much experimenting anymore, but they still wanted to call Kelly O'Hara into camp, so they listed her as a forward? Yeah, I, I think they, they've seen what Kelly might... I mean, Kelly's shown really well the last... Well, not the last game against Seattle, but the two games prior, she scored two goals. Yeah. And so, okay, why not give a shot at the forward position? Um, unfortunately, that's that's a fucking elite group to be in, mm-hmm. and she's got to find herself a partner. It also depends on the formation, right? Because, like, if we're playing maybe a 4-3-3, a 3-up, I could see our three forwards. I mean, in a 4-3-3, you kind of want your forwards to maybe be Sid LaRue, Alex Morgan, and Kristen Press. Sure, if Alex Morgan's healthy. If Alex Morgan's um, healthy. And if Kristen Press and Sid LaRue can start scoring goals together. That's also true, because right now Amy Rodriguez looks like the forward most on form. Yes. And Amy Rodriguez plays really well with Abby Wambach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amy Rodriguez is like that tougher than you'd expect, really fast forward, and Abby's your big target. And and it's, it's one of those situations where we have two games against France, so does... Ellis have the opportunity and the flexibility to try both styles. I think she should, right? Why not? Well, yeah, absolutely. But but I think the the issue here is, okay, we play the first game against France. What if we fall on our asses? At this point, though, you can't be afraid to lose, right? I think you, you cannot. <laughs> I think be... if you work for you soccer at this point, you're terrified to lose. Yeah, obviously, but in order to actually win and make a team capable of winning against the Frances, Germanys, Swedens, etc., you can't be afraid to lose during the experimental phase. 
We've seen what have we learned from the last four months of U.S. soccer. U.S. soccer hates to lose when it comes to the women. Um, I can't remember the last time U.S. soccer lost on home turf. Um, and Abby Wambach is a puppet master. Hasn't it been something like nine years since we lost at home? Some ridiculous number of years? Something like that. But when was the last time we played a team? I mean, Chicago, or, or we played Germany in 2012, and that was probably the last time we played a team with, with the... <sighs> With the stamina and the skill that we're going to see with France. I think that the French roster has been out for a little while now, and, and essentially it's, it's up to Jill to say, okay, well, let's let's look at the pedigree, let's look at the the, the level of competition that they're bringing, uh, bringing over here, and, and we have to match that. The two problem areas, I think, for the U.S. are finding the right set of forwards that have the best chemistry, um, be it a, a three up top, a two up top, or a two and then a one, finding that best combination. And then on the defensive side, holy fucking Christ, like, when was the last time we felt really, really confident about our defense? That's a roster that we have, but I think based on NWSL play, there are players who deserve a look. There's, there's like pros and cons to calling new people in to play against a strong team. But how many more camps are we going to have before we have to set a roster for the World Cup? So we had we had some confusion earlier about whether it was 23 players or 26 players. But ultimately, you're picking 26 players. You have a final roster of 18. So you have eight players that are just coming to the camp. And, you know, they, they're getting some experience playing at this higher level, like training at this higher level and, and seeing if the chemistry is good. And a lot of players in the NWSL have been busting out stand-up performances week in and week out, um, who have gotten gotten over, in, in my opinion, overlooked. I'm gonna go with the non-Seattle players, and then uh, uh, we can talk about the Seattle players. Okay. But um, I think I think uh, Becky Edwards. <laughs> um, what does Becky them, Edwards actually. have to do? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, how much more of a solid rock does Becky Edwards have to be? And I don't know if it's because maybe Ellis hasn't been watching Houston Dash games, um, or or, or I, I I just don't know what it is. Um, I think also uh, Kalopni, um is a player that you know there are a lot of politics and and a lot of conspiracy theories about around why she's not. Uh, uh, Lori Klepney will never make a national roster again. She just won't. And that's unfortunate. That's a and tragedy. And that's something that I think everyone needs to keep talking about because right now uh, the Red Stars are ranked number two in the league, um, and you kind of have to look at who's the workhorse behind that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my my third player uh, – well, actually, this is your player, so I'll let you, I'll let you claim this one. Top yeah. of my list is Nairn. I mean, how many Galazzos does she have to score – before she's seen as a credible scoring threat. At some point, do you think NWSL teams, or do you think uh, U.S. soccer takes into account NWSL rosters when they pull these players? They pulled way more than FC Casey than they did from, say, the Breakers, right? Yeah, but they they didn't pull or Or Chicago. So do you think they're trying to leave behind at least one like core player or something like that i I honestly have no idea 
Like, I don't know what the rhyme or reason is. I don't but know if you seems like a, an obvious choice. And then we also have three, uh, three CL players that I will let you speak to. I, I don't see U.S. soccer giving that much of a shit about NWSL. I don't know if they care enough to think that way. Unfortunately. Um, out of the rain, my two picks would be Bev Goble and Keelan Winters. Be- Bev Goble has come in, and I think if people weren't following her when she was over in the Japanese league, they, they might be a little surprised, but she, I think she really matured over there. She kind of came into her own. She benefited from training with a lot of top Japanese players and, and learning that side of the system. And then she came back, and now she's, you know, she's pretty dangerous. Yeah, she's definitely one of those players you have to watch um, for not only her work off the ball, but her work when she has loops back and covers the midfield. Um, she's she's a workhorse for Seattle. And then yeah. Winters, I mean, Winters is just uh, a phenomenal player. She's another workhorse for Seattle as well. I mean, she mm-hmm. there's a two leader, um, you know, a, a very a very stand up uh, player. And you also picked uh, Kendall Fletcher on your list of players you want to see in. I, I did. Um, I mean, I think Ken- as a as a defensive player, you know, scoring two goals this season uh, is is notable. Um, and I would be interested to see how she would handle that defensive that defensive center mid position. That's kind of uh, a, a a black hole on. Without the national team right now, I think of of the players that we have here, uh, Edwards, Kalupni, Winters would all be really good uh, players in that position. I mean, I personally believe Leslie Osborne should go in that hole, but I think her time is pretty much almost past. But on that note, Kendall Fletcher's 29. So, yeah, I guess it's conceivable she could still be at at top level through 2015, because she'll only be 30 by then. But I, I can... mean, we're talking about Shannon Box making a comeback, she's like 36. So I definitely, yeah, I think it's definitely apparent that several players have been overlooked, which is slightly more baffling than usual, considering the purpose of NWSL was to improve the state of women's soccer in America, right? It's a collaboration <clears throat> primarily between U.S. soccer and professional players so that we can see more development and have a stable place for pros to go after they graduate from college and like develop our player pool whatever yeah what do you want to talk about next buddy um well i said reverse chronological order so right before all that camp stuff dropped we were also talking about players and media in nwsl based on some confusion over players not coming out after games to speak to journalists even after they'd been request an NWSL rule stating that players must be available to the press after each game. Yeah, that's some bullshit. I I just it's don't like... see why a player wouldn't come out and speak to the press unless... I see one of two options. One, the player just not doing it, which makes no sense based on how... You know, they, they realize how valuable press is. They can't turn down any press. The other scenario being some intermediary messed up somewhere. And the, the chain of communication between the press requesting the player and the player got messed up in the middle somewhere. Which, right. conceivably, could have very easily happened. It just gets frustrating that the press... And maybe it's because I follow a lot of press on Twitter, but it just gets frustrating seeing 
the same players or the same teams, like not <clears throat> making players available or not allowing themselves to be available. And, you know, from from a, my layman's read of, of the NWSL rules, mm-hmm. all players are supposed to be available. It's not press may request three players to be available post game and those three players will be available and you know i think hope solo tweeted today something about a mix zone like most stadiums have a mix zone in between or like after the showers or something and it's like well well okay, it's like if you'll only do press issue yeah but if you'll only do press in a mix zone why are you why does a player feel like they need to dictate how and when and where the press happens and why isn't a press conference more comfortable for them anyway? Because a mix zone, you just go out there and you stand and you talk, and like you go through this row of reporters. Whereas a press conference, you can sit down. It's more ordered. Sometimes there's a moderator. You can have your coach with you. So, I don't know. Maybe she just prefers a mix zone because it's more in- immediate. Maybe she thinks it's more like intimate, familiar, easier to talk to people, and not in like a structured situation. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I just I. I think you and I agree on, uh, I, I went on a little bit of a rant today about how I think this is an issue that can get clouded or scanned over because people think that fans are complaining about players not being available or not coming out and signing autographs, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is, is a completely different like point. Um, I don't think that's an issue. Like, if a team fucking loses, you shouldn't expect them to turn around and come out and sign autographs yeah. and take selfies. Yeah. I um, I definitely had a, have a lot of respect for any player who, after a loss, will come out and smile and talk to fans and, you know. But that's a completely yeah, different it's, issue it's from not, press. But it's yeah. not, you're not buying a ticket to get an autograph. No. And if you are, then you're coming... I don't want to say you're coming to the game for the wrong reason. We should be trying to get anybody who wants to come to this game for any reason. But you're not a sustainable kind of fan who the league should market to. Well, and you have to realize at some point, you're, that stadium that has like 1,200 people in it or 2,800 people or 3,400 people, a player can't touch everyone. Yeah. Um, and their job is not to do those things like yeah in women's soccer we've created this culture where players need to be accessible but if i'm at a thorns game granted i could care less about autographs despite having a scarf full of autographs on my wall um i i don't go to a game expecting to have a one-on-one interaction with players um and it i mean if people go to games to have that experience I would love to talk to you more about that um, and find out, you know, kind of where that entitlement is coming from. Oh, God, I once saw this woman at an open practices for a national game. She could not stop. She would stand up, like, from her seat and just yell at the players, like, I drove seven hours to be here, or something like some six, seven hours. She just yelled it over and over, and I was like, yes, and so? A lot of us drove. A lot of us flew. People have flown overseas to see national games. That was your choice. Yeah. The player didn't tell you, I want you to go out of your way and spend a lot of money to come to this game. You yeah, chose to do that because you, you love it. You made the fucking decision 
that I'm going to spend all this money to do this. Yeah. They owe you nothing. No. If you did that and came to the game because you love it, then come to the game because you love it, not because you expect there's some kind of bargain going on where if you just, like, spend enough of your time and money, then eventually the player will notice you and then, I don't know, reward you with a hug? It's just frustrating because... The women's soccer fandom, and I hate that goddamn word. <laughs> I know you do. The, the, the women's soccer fandom <laughs> is is a, a spectrum. And it's a spectrum full of people who care about the sport as a sport and are protective of it because, hey, guess what? We were, we, we you know, those people consider themselves founders or something. Um and then it goes all the way to like those really uh, possessive people who think that player, like I identify with that player, that player, it, not is mine, because that's way too creepy, but like that player is more important than others. Well, that can be the downside of powerfully identifying with somebody, right? You, you see it in any kind of celebrity culture, which on the one hand, it is kind of nice that we have a celebrity culture now in women's soccer because it brings in money and fans and stuff but the downside to it obviously is people who feel entitled to a player a player's time beyond their athletic effort i mean yeah. right you get people who like run on the pitch to try to hug hope solo when she clearly doesn't want to be hugged by some stranger who's running at her things like that i mean i wouldn't mind being hugged by a stranger running at me but I might also throw them to the ground <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> wow, you should put that on your OkCupid profile. I, I'm totally putting that on my Match.com profile because OkCupid is for free and Match.com, at least people have to pay. Wow, what a snob you are. I know, I am. I one of my One of my qualifications at this point in my life is you need to be able to at least pay for your dating service. Anyway... I do my best to find somebody who is actually not into soccer. Yeah. It it sounds really weird, and it probably is the reason why I haven't had a relationship of more than three months in the last, like, three years. But I like people who have their own, um, have their own thing going on. Well, the thing is, okay, so you and I were deep into soccer, right? We're deep into it. Sure. So if we find someone who isn't as into it as we are, that's not going to work. Because they're not going to enjoy it as much as we do, whatever. It's not it's not the same level of compatibility. So you might as well be with someone who's not into soccer. Or yeah. you find someone who is as deep into it as you are, and then you engage in this destructive downward spiral of intensity. Because that, that's no good. I cannot be with someone who has, who is as intense about women's soccer as I am. That is going to end well, in disaster. I, I feel like I would just be constantly trying to one-up somebody. Like, Maybe. oh, did you read that article today that was published by a Swiss <laughs> magazine that I had to Google Translate four times just so that I could understand? I think we're revealing some deep, like, relationship-level insecurities about you now. We we have to keep this in. We are! We, realize we have to keep this shit in. Maybe one of us will find the love of our life from this podcast. Maybe somebody who doesn't like women's soccer will be listening to a women's soccer podcast. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so that's what's been going on. Going even farther back, uh, recently there's been a lot of press about two of my favorite breakers, 
Joanna Loman and Leanne Sanderson and their relationship with each other. They're engaged, actually. Yay! Yay! So, yeah, the Boston Globe did a nice bit on them, and of course they were in People Magazine um, talking about their relationship with each other and how it doesn't really impact them on the field. Are they gay? I think they're just roommates. They might be cousins. And they're, they're roommates who are planning a future. Yeah, planning a lifetime together. Maybe kids, I don't know. Yeah. And I think this kind of helps us transition to our topic, which is queer women in women's soccer and to a larger extent in sports in America in general. It's, it's, I, I feel like this is a topic long time coming for us, that it's something that we just haven't talked about. And uh, with it being June, uh, June being pride in the United States, I think it's it's something I'm kind of excited to talk about, and I hope I hope you are too. Yeah, I think so. I don't think so. I am really excited to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was also partially spurred on the WNBA recently announced that they will start to openly market to gay people. But considering yeah, yeah. considering uh, who's they, been they they had an article out in USA Today um, on May 21st that. Uh, the WNBA is to market to LGBT community and essentially like I don't know I've always thought the the WNBA uh, fan base to be rather LGBT uh, welcoming um, but they had commissioned a study um, and a survey of their fans uh, to ultimately lead to the decision to market to them and by market to them i mean have uh lgbt events and to participate in lgbt lg lgbt um campaigns and and things of that nature and and kind of the thing that as as a as a member of that community you kind of think well it's a no-brainer right but this is the first organized sports um group that has done a survey that actually says you should market to this fan base. And I think that's a fucking big deal. Well, I think the the last line of the article I read is telling in that the person defending the policy said, we found that marketing to uh, LGBT groups is not going to take away from uh, our audience in other areas, which I don't necessarily know would have been true 10 years ago um, in this country. And I and I think I find it I can I can find it despicable that a company would choose not to market to LGBT people because they're afraid of uh, the homophobic the homophobic part of their customer base, but in reality I understand it. I mean obviously maybe they should have commissioned a study, and if they had found out sooner they could have gone ahead with this sooner and maybe helped push equality forward in at least their part of America, but I can't blame a business especially a struggling business. We're not talking about like some giant corporation that can absorb the hit. We're talking about the WNBA, which still has to be subsidized by the NBA. I can't blame a money-making organization like that for being unwilling to risk any significant part of their market. I, I was just going to say, I, I completely agree. I, I think uh, Rebecca Lobo in, uh, in this article um, that I'm looking at kind of said it perfectly. She said, um, it's culturally more acceptable now than it was when it when it first started. Uh, the league has been around for so many years that they can do these sorts of things without worrying about what other people might think. Uh, you know, and that's and that's after they've been around since 1997. Yeah. So they've been around 20 
seven years at this point. Seventeen years. Seventeen. <laughs> they've they've been around seventeen years, and just now in their seventeenth year, are saying, "Hey, here's an entire market that maybe we should do specific target marketing for," mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, speaking to the advancement of the social norms within our society and the the acceptance of the LGBT community among mainstream America. But it's it's really intriguing to me how I, I, I feel like the the undertone of the women's soccer fan base has since as long as I've been a part of it, been why aren't you marketing to me? Why aren't you paying attention to me? Like don't pay attention to little kids. Pay attention to me. I'm 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 your ticket buyer. I'm your gay fan who loves this team. I am your gay ticket buyer. <laughs> I am your, I will buy all of your gay tickets. I, I think also part of it that ties into it is um, maybe pushback from the athletes themselves, which is another thing that I, I think I, I understand as well. There's this great quote from Caitlin Cahow, who is admittedly talking about women's hockey. But she had this interview with GoAthletes.org, and she's talking about trying to get athletes together for the You Can Play project for the Canadian Women's Hockey League. And uh, she said, we had a difficult time getting gay athletes to participate because the assumption is that there's a, a guilty by association philosophy with female athletes. You don't want to be perceived as being a lesbian, and if you are a lesbian, you don't want to fit into the stereotype. You don't want to gratify that stereotype with a response. That's something unique to women's sports. And then she goes on to point out that the NHL had a lot of allies who wanted to like stand up and, and say publicly that they supported LGBT athletes because male athletes don't have the same stigma attached to their participation in sports, which is really fair and really true. And so I think that definitely plays into women's sports leagues being reluctant to market to LGBT groups. But now that people are starting to get over the hump and be like, there shouldn't be a stigma because there's nothing wrong with being LGBT or queer in general. Why shouldn't we market to these groups, especially if it's not going to take away from any other audience? I, I really do think yeah. it, it's just a sign of the times. It's just th- a natural progress that we had to make as a country. Well, as, as a country, as a society, and as a community. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting to the point where there isn't really that that wall between fans and front offices right now uh-huh. um and the fans can really dictate like what's going on and 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 the front offices are really paying attention to the fan base i i think i think a big a big example of that is actually coming up on wednesday night um the chicago red stars are hosting their pride night Chicago Red Stars are playing the Houston, uh, I'm sorry, the Chicago Red Stars are playing the Washington Spirit, and it's it's being tagged as a benefit for hope for the day. It's it's Pride Night in Chicago. I don't think we had a single one of these last year. Um, I think it's a huge deal. You know, they're not using out players to market this. Right. Um, it's like an organizational using, thing. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 not they're not pigeonholing out players to be like, ooh, come and support this player who's part of your community. And and I at first thought that was a little weird. I was like, why wouldn't you put Lori Lindsay on this flyer? Um, but they decided to go with uh, Julian Stitch and Allie Krieger. Stitch, um, there's two isn't... players who 
are known, uh, you know, throughout throughout the community for for just supporting equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really awesome and and fascinating to me uh, that they're that they're doing this without making it a big deal. Yeah, that's the next level of progress. First, it's you got to agitate, you have to advocate. And then the point at which these things start to normalize, I think that's when you see the paradigm shift. I realized I use the phrase paradigm shift a lot when I'm talking about these subjects. I don't know if it makes me seem like an asshole or not. I mean, okay, let's let's talk about shift. Like, we are now, you know, on Wednesday night, Pride night, uh, on this flyer it says all fans are encouraged to bring pride flags, banners, etc., um, show your prides by coming out to, or show your pride by coming out to watch the Red Stars. Um, are you guys doing anything in Boston? Like this is Pride Month. June, June is a big, big fat gay month. Um, it would be cool if we had a Pride Night. If you guys did like the 11th as uh-huh. a Pride Night, yeah, or you know the 19th. Well, the 19th would suck because that's also when USA's playing. That's the national team game, which is a whole yeah. other. I'm not gonna level of suck. Yeah. Pride Night in Boston is certainly an idea I would be on board with, and I think a lot of people would be on board with, too, including the front office, and definitely some of the players. Maybe. Maybe some of your players. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got um, our Pride uh, Parade is on June 15th, Uh Um, and what's becoming a bit of a tradition for us is the Thorns play. Um that exact same day and uh we played the washington spirit which i actually think we might have played spirit last year on pride as well um which is really interesting but essentially what we're doing is we're the riveters and the timbers army um are marching in the parade uh and then we're going straight from you know where the parade ends and going up to the stadium and uh, cheering on the thorns as they take on the spirit, and it'll it'll be a good game. It'll be a good day. Um, we did it last year, and and hopefully, you know, it's it's fun for the whole family again. I think that's also is anybody else doing anything gay? Well, I, I don't think so. When you say it's it's fun for the whole family, I think that's also something that we couldn't have said or done ten years ago. People would have said a Pride Night is should be adults only. Like, what about my children? What about my children? How do I explain roommates to them? So the, 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 the same people who are saying, how do I explain roommates, are the same people who are saying, you shouldn't swear around my kid. They, they may not even be coming to a women's soccer game in the first place because they're probably the same kind of people who think women running for 90 minutes impacts their reproductive organs. And it does, as evidenced by Shannon Box and Christy Rampone and Amy Rodriguez. And Kate Markgraf have kids. And Kate Markgraf. Christine Lilly. Mia, Mia Hamm, Hamm. And Julie Carla Fowdy. Overbeck. Yeah. They're all, all their kids are fucked up because they played soccer. I'm sure. We're going to find out these kids, like, are are unable to turn left or they can't smell garlic or something. We're going to find out that's well, what soccer did to them. We already know Abby Wambach can't turn left. <laughs> Abby Wambach is the Derek Zoolander of women's soccer? Is that Abby Wambach is the Derek Zoolander of women's soccer. You heard that first, right uh, here. I Two drunk know. fans. So, in summary, I think we're only going to see more. 
I hope this isn't the pinnacle, you know? I hope this is only the tip of the iceberg and we see uh, more women's leagues marketing to queer audiences, especially in markets like Boston or the, the Bay Area, if we ever get a team there again, the Pacific Northwest. I mean, Houston, for God's sakes, their openly gay mayor came to the first Houston Dash game, didn't she? Yes, yes, she did. Yes, she did. So I think as America, at least, starts to see that queer women are people who just happen to be queer, right? And that's not necessarily the most defining thing about them. They're mayors, they're athletes, they're daughters, they're whatever they want to be. That generally good progress will filter down into our sports. So yay gay. Yay gay. Oh, so to round things up, Shannon Box is practicing with the thorns. Shannon Box is practicing with the thorns. hey No, hey in Boston. Oh, yeah, hey the God damn. <laughs> that was pretty good, though. But um, That was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, she, yeah, Shannon Box showed up for practice today wearing thorns gear. Apparently, Paul Riley said uh, she's only practicing with us while getting ready, getting back into shape before she heads back to Chicago. And I'm just sitting here going like, what? Because she's a Chicago player. Mm-hmm. She's not like waved or anything like that, and is practicing with a rival. I mean, at the end of the day, the NWSL has nine teams. We're all fucking rivals. Uh-huh. She's practicing with a rival team to get back in. Like, are we charging her? Yeah, that's the line where it gets fuzzy with like, yeah, all the national teamers mm-hmm. and to lesser extent, a lot of women in professional soccer, they're all buddies and stuff, but you they're rival teams. So what are you doing practicing with your rival team if you're not intending to join them? Or what are you doing hosting the fucking rival team in your practice? If you're not if intending not to recruit her, up. yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe they're doing a national it, team or a solid because she happened to be in the Pacific Northwest for some reason and needed a place to train. I've just got to call bullshit because I'm like, you want this to be a professional league, treat it like a professional league. It's not fucking summer camp. Yeah. If you want to be a professional league, then enforce your rules on media and press. If you want to be a professional league, stop signing thousands of autographs after every match. Actually, I like that part. I think it differentiates us and makes us unique. I, I know it does create a sense of entitlement among certain fans, but I I also think we're not at a place where we can afford to go without that kind of interaction. We go without that kind of interaction in Portland every week. You cannot uh, they only bring... Hand out, look, they only hand out like Portland, 150 autograph vouchers. S- Spiders Portland is an outlier and should not have been counted. Okay? Well, Alright, I have to go <clears throat> clean my cat's litter box now. I can smell it. He dropped something awful in there. That is disgusting. Like, I cannot believe you sleep in the same room as your cat poos. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I can't, I can't believe you bring women back to the same room as your cat poos. I don't date, dude. I don't date. You podcast. I podcast. I, I don't need a girlfriend. I have soccer. <laughs> All right. Do you want to you wanna fulfill your side of the bet now? Stop laughing at me because you yeah. lost this bet, so you shouldn't be laughing. I did. I did. We didn't even talk about the game. Do you want to talk about Do you want to rehash that game? I'll talk about it all I mean, you I want. Don't really wanna, I, don't, I don't really want to rehash it, but, I mean, we made, we made a friendly bet. Uh, Gab and I made a bet 
on the Boston Breakers Portland Thorns game. It was if Portland won, I would tell an embarrassing story in the podcast. And if the Breakers won, Gab would tell an embarrassing story and sing a song because I think we both agreed that the going into the game it was weighted more heavily in Portland's favor. The betting odds were on Portland's favor. So we go into the game, you all know what happened. It was nuts. Boston wins four one. What? Um, and now Gab owes me a song and an embarrassing story. Gab, what are you singing? I'm gonna do loser right back. Okay, I want at least one verse and one chorus. Alright. I'm gonna start with the first uh the first chorus here. Okay. <laughs> I'm a chimpanzees. I was a monkey. Plutane fades in the costume. Oh, I can't do that. It's too fast. You can't do it. It's too fast. You don't know. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Do you want to sing a different song? Yeah. How about You Ought to Know by Alanis? I was serious about that. All right. We'll do that one. I can do that one. Okay. <laughs> of course you can. All right, paying up. I wish nothing but the best for you both. An older version of me, she is perverted like me. Would you go down on you in a theater? Does she speak eloquently? And would she have you met me? I'm sure she'd make a really excellent mother. Cause the love that you gave and made and they will make it enough for you to be open wide. No. And every time you speak her name, does she know how you told me, hold me until you died? Till you died, now you're still alive and I'm here to remind you of the mess you left when you went away. It's not fair. To deny me of the cross up in that you gave to me. You, you, you ought to know. Okay, that's good. <laughs> okay, it wasn't good, but Not good. quite as well. No, stop. 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 You should know. <laughs> Are we good? Yeah, we're good. <laughs> Did you get everything you needed? Yeah, I got everything I needed. So now that you've driven away the majority of our listening audience... Why don't you tell us an embarrassing story, and thus closeth the chapter of your debt to me? Thus closeth the chapter. Um, so my embarrassing story is uh, women's soccer related. It has to do with this evening uh, in January 2012. Uh, it was the night the U.S. women's national team uh, qualified for the olympics uh well no it was that's a lie it, it wasn't the night they qualified for the olympics it was the night that they beat canada in the Concacaf olympic qualifications tournament um and uh my friend and i we were at this bar in vancouver it was like a dive country western bar. it wasn't really all that divey it was a country western bar um and we had wandered there from our hotels and uh, we were about ready to go to a gay bar um, that this couple was going to take us to. And all of a sudden we look over and there are fucking players of 
the women's national team there. So we're like, okay, well, we're not leaving. So ultimately, uh, drinks get bought, embarrassment is had. The most embarrassing moment of the evening was when I was walking up to my friend and I probably proceeded to step on Heather O'Reilly's feet and she chewed me out for it because her feet are valuable. Um, I, I will not downplay that at all, but I stepped all over them on the dance floor because I'm not a dancer and it was horrible and embarrassing. And to this day, I don't look at Heather O'Reilly the same way. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Is that story sufficient? Yes, that is sufficient. Thank you for fulfilling your debt to me. I release you. Who's your player of the week? Um, my player of the week is probably going to be Taylor for her brace against Boston, which led to a spirit win over the Boston Breakers. I'm going to have to break whatever no homer rule we had because I got to go with Jasmine Reeves for her hat trick against Portland. But she didn't need the hat trick. She didn't need the hat trick. We, to beat the like, thorns. Spiritually and emotionally, we needed the hat trick, though. Yeah, it didn't do you any good, did it? It did a great deal of good. It helped erase a little bit of our goal differential. A little bit. Jasmine Reeves. Bit. I'm going to say Jasmine Reeves. Alright, I'm saying Jody Taylor. Okay. Do you want to do rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> How many times are we going to pick on the fucking Portland Thorns, though? Okay, okay, okay. Let me give you an alternate. And you give me an alternate Jody Taylor, then. Fine. Alright, uh, fine. My alternate is Nao Kawasumi. I'll rock, paper, scissors you. One, One two, One, two, two three. three. Shoot. Damn it! We both did paper. Okay. Best two out of three, right? One, One two, three. three. Shoot. Yes! Damn it! Alright, one more, right? Best two out of three. One, One two, two, three. three. Shoot. Paper. Scissors. God damn it! <laughs> Alright, oh. our fucking player of the week is Reeves, and the Portland Thorns are gonna own it this week. We're gonna own it against the Flash. I hope you it's do. Be awesome. I hope you fucking own the Flash. I hope you. I hope Christine Sinclair gets the hat trick, and you guys score like five goals on them. Won't it be awesome? Yeah, it would be awesome. Oh, whatever. Whatever. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. <laughs>